0: Hello, and welcome back to Users First. I'm your host, Alessio Firakuti, UX designer and podcastist, and today I'm joined by Joey, former director of user experience, current professor of UX and visual design at the Fashion Institute of Technology, and founder and CCO at DED, his own digital experience design company. And today, our topic focuses on the importance of soft and hard skills that you should learn in your career in order to scale up. But before we jump into the episode, I wanted to express my gratitude again to Balsamic Wireframing Academy for sponsoring the episode. They provide practical training for creating more usable products um, using wireframes. And they have free courses, guidelines, articles, video series, webinars, and much more. You can access all of these from their website, balsamic.co, balsamic.comslash learn. Thanks for joining us, Joya. Pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for taking the yes. time to do this
1: thanks for having me i appreciate it
0: beautiful and absolutely love your background it's it's freaking rocky man (laughs) how (laughs) how long did it it take you to put it together
1: uh it took me well it it happened in kind of like my life like it's a working prototype you know piece by piece so first thing was the wall of tools over here why because i get a lot of stuff done here on my desk and then i'd always had these varying license plates from different cars and stuff that i had built or like, you know, yard sales. And I thought, oh, these are all kind of cool. But then I thought, you don't would be amazing if I just made it like a wall. And right. Then, and I put it, the wall up in like maybe an hour. Uh, I think where I spent <laughs> more time was arranging which license plates I wanted where. And I tried doing it in a pattern where either the fonts or the colors or even the size differed versus having them all like concentrated different type, which is why it's so eclectic.
0: I love it, I absolutely love it. How long did it take you to find all of the the car plates? Like a few years? Uh,
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it happened over the course of several years. I, I, yeah, like I don't know when they all came about, but like I said, some of them were from old cars that I built. Other ones were like, as a kid, like the Eagles and the Phillies plates were plates I had in my bedroom as a little it. boy. Yeah. yeah, and then other ones were just yard sale or you know like gift or something i'm like oh cool and then i just you know just hung them up uh, so I it's, think it's, it's, well it's really cool
0: like you've used uh like i mean you have all of these things from your past from your teenage years and now you have them there that you can look at them every And day uh, if they're part of you it's very nice some people just put their stuff in the garage and they'll, they'll leave it there and they'll never look at it i it yeah. but it's nice to have these things where that you're affectionate about
1: Yeah. And that kind of lends itself to some of our conversation today, because one of the things that I find when people are looking for jobs is that they don't really talk about like, what are some of your hobbies and passions and your hobbies and passions don't always have to align with your job. You know, a hobby and a passion can be something that just like, like sewing, for example, or knitting, right? Like as a designer, are you really knitting a sweater every day? Probably not, but it's a break from technology, right? However, when you bring up those kinds of things, especially in conversation uh, for, for a possible opportunity uh, that may align with the person you're speaking with and like, Oh, we have similar interests. Now, granted, we're all designers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. I do design work. You're looking for a designer. That's fun. But uh, like when I talk about cars, American classic cars, every Mm -hmm. culture loves from the like early fifties to the mid to late seventies, people love those cars and i spend a good like five to ten minutes explaining the wall every time i meet someone when they turn the camera on every time they see that like oh snap like oh, my dad had a chevelle or my grandmother had a cadillac and you know the but the one thing though that's consistent is that every time someone talks about a classic car that they've had and they sold it they're always they always wish they didn't sell it <laughs> okay they always wish they could yeah because there's Yeah. But, you know, classic cars are, you know, it's a, it's a job, right? Like it's a lot of work. You got to know what you're doing or you'll spend a lot of money for someone else to go fix it. But for me, yeah, it's, it's been fun. And I've, you know, I have a ton of analogies between design and cars, but the, again, the reason for the background is that it totally stands out. So anytime I take a call, people know exactly who Joey is, right? The minute they see that wall, they see these tools on the side over here. If you know who I am, they're like, oh yeah, that's you would expect me to be in this kind of room. But if you don't know me and <laughs> you see this room, you're very curious to learn more about
0: me. Right. And I think I think that's a very good skill. Uh, we were talking earlier uh, before, before the recording of the episode, we were talking about emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence, it's also about understanding when to talk about business and when not to. And maybe those first 10 minutes of a business meeting, maybe you shouldn't be talking about business at all. Maybe you should be talking about classic cars. And the fact that you have this passion that can relate to a lot of the american people i think it just works out very greatly and the thing is that you stand out because most people don't have this understanding of starting off a meeting with you know with with some common interest with some hobbies with, yeah. with some jokes you know most people don't don't have these uh, these uh, this charisma and that's why you stand out i think Awesome. Yeah, I think that that also lends itself to even
1: what I do when it comes to research, because a lot of times people have a tendency to dive into research, like asking all the questions mm-hmm. versus, you know what, tell me about you. Yeah, are you having a bad day? Because if you are, that is going to skew your uh, some of your opinions.
0: Right. right?
1: Or if you're under stress about something, okay, that may skew your opinion as well. Mm-hmm. So trying to get an idea of who you're dealing with first, I think is always important so that, you know uh you have an idea of what you're dealing with Uh, i mean some people are all business i've had some podcasts i get on and like all right go (laughs) okay fine but then there's other ones where there's like a little bit of like get to know each other because the world now uh covid like made everyone pivot overnight and the world now is this like you have podcasts where yeah uh prior to covid we probably would not have spoken why because it just wasn't a, a thing like you have to be in person you know, uh, do all that kind of jazz versus no. Now, an email, LinkedIn conversation, people see what you're doing. Take of course, the
0: steps. yeah. I, I agree. I agree 100% with you. You should take advantage of your opportunities that present in front of yourself. So COVID, whatever, instead of whining on your couch about the fact that you can meet people, go meet 100,000 people on LinkedIn or find whatever other way. Um, to be mm-hmm. honest, I feel like, despite I've been doing great and then working on online I still feel that I need to actually speak to people just because I love seeing people I love seeing like hand gestures and maybe share a smile with other people so I'm, I'm trying to do a bit of both
1: I'll tell you I've been one of those guys that were sitting on the couch because I was nervous about looking and sounding dumb and if there's one thing that I would stress to your audience is that uh, get it out of your system now right go sound dumb and go do all that dumb stuff now because the longer you wait the less chance you'll have it at any shot of success right you're going you're going to sound dumb you don't know it all that's fine I don't know it all either even the experts don't know it all you know I I love joking that um Hmm. uh, when everybody says they're an expert or something I'm like yeah experts built the titanic and amateurs built the arc so (laughs) I'm going to go with the amateur guys because they're willing to like you know, take a risk at something and maybe they'll succeed versus you'll never know all the answers. So I'm never going to make a move. No, of course. go will make a move. Yeah. yeah. What's the yeah. what's the worst that can happen? You sound a little dumb. OK, you'll learn. Right. That's what learning is all about. You learn what to do and how to get things done.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Freaking hell! I love speaking to you. You're, you're, you should be a motivational speaker. You just, you just get so much. I, I, can get so much energy out of you right now. I, I, want to do everything. Look, tell us a bit about your story on, uh, on how you moved from, from Philly to New York. Because I think like uh, it will help people understand. You know how, how they can get out of their comfort zone or try to put themselves in a different environment where they could be more inspired or um, meeting maybe more people that are related to their business.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's not a happy story, but very quickly, uh, I was uh, 22 years old, Uh, a girlfriend of mine, uh, unfortunately, had uh, lost her battle to cancer. Uh, And at that time, I, uh, I absolutely lost my mind. uh, Because I'd never, I never had, uh, well, I had like, like family, older family that passed away, it wasn't as intimate as what I had with Celie. And when all that went down, Yeah, I would say for like three weeks, I was in a dark place. I, you know, I was working at at a job at an advertising agency in Philadelphia called Devon Direct. And while Mm -hmm. I loved what I had, yeah, I I felt like the whole world had been taken out from underneath me. And it was it was exactly three weeks after Sealy passed that I woke up that day and I thought, dude, I'm going to New York. No Mm. friends, no family and obviously no money. And everybody in my neighborhood thought that I was running from my problems. And I told them that I have a plan A and a plan B. Plan A is to be a successful designer. Plan B is to make sure plan A doesn't screw up. I am not coming back. I'm going full throttle. And that's what I did. And within three months, I landed an opportunity uh, in New York. Uh, and funny, because when I got the opportunity, uh, Ralph Altman, who worked for Renegade Marketing, had said, okay, you know, come in two weeks and um, yeah, we'll see if we have a job for you. I bet everything on that. I quit my full-time job. I Mm -hmm. didn't even have an apartment yet. And the day that I got there, that Monday, Raph was like, why are you here? I said, oh, I think you wanted me to start Monday. (laughs) And he says, "Uh, okay. And then shortly after that, dude, I kid you not, I then asked him for a $700 cash advance so I could go get my
0: apartment. No shit, okay, nobody does that anymore. That's fantastic. Uh,
1: I'm sure they do, but that for all the people listening, this is why you should tell your story. Because think of how crazy that is. I was so naive, and he gave it to me. And then that day, I got my apartment uh, from these uh, Greek guys out in Astoria, and that was Beautiful. it. And then after that, yeah, after that man, it was like um, it, it was sort of like uh, like serendipity, where uh, not everything was perfect, but again, I my expectations were I just want to. I just want to be a part of everybody. I just want to hang out, right? Like, I'll make some money, uh, you know, I'll do some work, you know, learn some stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, like, it, it's just it's amazing to think I did that when I was 22. Hmm. That was it. And then Very at young. 23, yeah, at 23, I started my first business. And I started my first business because I was fired from a company because I was standing up for myself. And I got fired. And I didn't know, like, when you're young, you're obviously got a lot more fire in you. And coming out of Philly, yeah. Yeah, I'm all about fire. So the minute I feel disrespected, I'm, I'm quite quick to open my mouth and say, yo, I don't do that. And this guy was like pointing his finger in my face, telling me, you need to listen to what I tell you to do. And I said, don't don't put your finger in my face. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Just like that. Next <laughs> day, I was canned.
0: <laughs> oh, of but, course, yeah.
1: Yeah. So what Love did it. I do? I, to make it even funnier, when my friend, uh, this guy, his name's Jump Posey, he had called me, asked me. What's going on? And I was crying in the phone. that I lost my job. And he was laughing. He's like, dude, you'll be fine. So what did I do? I went out to the Oktoberfest in Germany with, okay. no, with, with very little money. And him and I, hmm. while we were there at the Oktoberfest, we spoke about starting an agency. And when we came back, we did. It took us about nine months to get our first client. But when we did, that was it. And then it just snowballed one client after the other. And this is around the time of the dot-com. So to what's going on with COVID, like beginning of COVID, you know, there was like this wave of things when the dot-com came about. And right. one other thing to add, my <laughs> landlord to my first place was Chuck Lowe. Chuck Lowe played Maury in Goodfellas, he's the guy with the wig.
0: Hold on a sec, Chuck Lowe.
1: Yeah, dude, I know. that You can't make that up, dude. And coming out of Philly, everybody was all Goodfellow-like, Godfather-like. Chuck Lowe was my landlord.
0: You gotta be kidding! No way!
1: Nope. I swear to God, I got <laughs> pictures. I got pictures. Of, did, did you actually that. get to meet him? Yeah, yeah. He would come by all the time. He he was on a lot of medication because he he was in a lot of pain. Uh, so he wasn't always nice. If he was on his medication, he was nice. Uh, but you know, again, he, he was an older guy. Uh, De Niro was like was like one block away because he rented space to De Niro because he he worked with him. Um, we actually had lunch with him, Liam Nielsen, and De Niro, and I was like, dude, I can't believe like I'm here with these guys at a place called Nobu, which is down uh, – it's in New York City on Beach. Uh, okay. I forget at the, at the cross street, but regardless, yeah, he was my landlord. But again, I share that because all of that was serendipity, and all of that was because I was totally cool with failing. That was it. Um, okay. Again, Plan A was to be a success. Plan B was to make sure Plan A didn't screw up. So, <laughs> not everything worked out. I had I have some horror stories that I could share. Besides, you know, losing Sealy, like business related stuff, where like lots of money was lost, and you know, it set me back a couple months. But okay. yeah, I just got back up. and am like, yo, I'm gonna do it again.
0: Uh huh. So like, something that I think I would that would have from the story that you just said is, well, first off, is everybody I think they have a dark time in their in their life and uh i love the fact that they got out of your darkest period of your life and you turned out um you made it you made it turn out to be something very extremely positive probably the best decision in your life and it really shows how um how getting out of your comfort zone can really improve the quality of your life and the second takeaway from the story that you said is how maybe not being the best in something Uh, can get you to speak to actually like very successful people like Chuck Lowe or like Robert De Niro. But just being a very young and ambitious person that is willing to do anything to be successful and, you know, just be very enthusiastic, the way that you speak, you you can tell when someone has ambition in their mind, right? And because of that, and because you were probably found to be around, then you also got to speak to them and sit at a dinner table with them.
1: Yeah, like I, I definitely and, and I guess where I would draw a line is I wasn't going to do anything because for me, I have a really strong moral compass and I'm not one to step on someone. Uh, now, it's not to say I'm not, I'm not down the fight because, again, coming out of Philly, that's what guys do. We, we love talking with our hands. But when uh, when I moved up to New York, I looked at everybody as, OK, no one is a threat. Um, I see opportunity and I just want to be a part of the team. I may not be the star player, but I want to be on the team. And how can I do that? And that allowed me to meet a lot of people. Now, granted, there were people that took full advantage of me. Why? Because I was naive and I trusted a lot. And I'm mm-hmm. glad I did. As many people that burned me, shame on you. I, I'm not on your side anymore. And I, I, for myself, I know a lot of people who know me. Yeah, like I'm trusted. Dave. Why? Because your your problems are my problems. Your pain is my pain. That's how I looked at it. That's how I was raised in Philly. And, and again, it's kind of like that mob mentality where like we're all in this together. So no one talks. We all, you know, we stick side by side with each other. However, from myself when I moved up to New York, what I didn't do is I didn't look at people for their culture, their race, or their or their uh, uh, like orientation. I looked at them as okay, well. We're here and I got to work with you. So let's work together. Let's see what we can do. And I found that working a lot with immigrants, because uh, mostly the immigrants are what accepted me into New York. They're the guys. Like Raph was from Germany and a lot of people on my team, they weren't all from the United States. Uh, those were the guys that were really open to working with me. And I, I, I couldn't be more, more in debt to them for giving me the chance. Now, it's not to say I didn't work with Americans, because I did. But when I first got in, it was the immigrants, the Greek immigrants that gave me a place to stay in Astoria or the German immigrant that got me my first job in New York, or even some of the education stuff. It was all predominantly immigrants. Funny enough, that got me into <laughs> New York City that accepted me. And then from there, I just started to grow it out. But as as I progressed, yeah, I realized that at the end of the day, it really does come down to someone's merit. It isn't culture. I mean, culture plays a role, don't get me wrong with me. Culture... Uh, you know, could be the way people like uh, like a hierarchy, for example, like when I work with people from India, depending on where in India they're from, there's a hierarchy that they'll follow. So, like, I would go directly to the CEO if I had a problem. Why? Because that's right. my culture here in the States. That's how we are. But in Indian culture, especially South India, they have a pecking order and they're going to go to the person above them. That person takes it to the person above them. And eventually it gets to the person that says yes, but there could be four or five people in that. But if you understand that culture, that's just the way they roll. Okay, cool. So we just got to, it's their game. We're going to play their game. But uh, but yeah, in, in learning more and more about culture, while there may be differences in hierarchy and that kind of thing, at the end of the day, a lot of them are similar to us. You know, of course. Trying of to course. have a good life. You know, they, they want to be healthy. Uh, they want to eat. Uh, me personally, when I go to other cultures, the first thing I look for is people that remind me of my mom and dad.
0: How do you think that, understanding other cultures allows you to uh, gain more perspectives on design. Do you think that it opens your mind on, on your actual work, on the work that you're doing in a design agency or for a company or as a teacher?
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, one, it kind of checks off all the topics we were going to discuss today. So it helps in your job search. It helps in meeting people, obviously. And then more importantly, once you learn someone's culture or even have an appreciation for their culture, that makes it easier to understand where they're coming from, because quite often we want people to assimilate to how we get things done.
0: What do you think uh, people really need as hard or soft skills in order to get a job? Like, What do you think people should really own in terms of maybe behaviors or, or the way uh, their emotional intelligence? What do you think are important skills for them to be looking for a job?
1: Well, it, it definitely varies from your level of experience in life, right? So right out of school, you're, you're more than likely not aware of all the political stuff that goes on behind the scenes and also the agenda that people have. But at the same time, uh, what you should be aware of is who you're going to be working with. Uh, one of the great things that I was fortunate to have in my career is I always learn from somebody. Now, some bosses are bad bad because they don't have the patience or they just they have a hard time articulating things but for a young you know uh, up and coming i don't even think it's a designer i just think a person in general it's really good to pick up on that and think like okay am i cool with that or am i not and let me learn how to navigate that because you're never going to get away from a bad boss or a difficult mm-hmm. person right let's let's right. put it that way because bad a is difficult. let's say difficult a, yeah let's a person say, that gives yeah, you heart like that's, yeah or can't... yeah exactly so and that kind of stuff i got a lot of that in the beginning and i used to take that to heart mm-hmm. and it took me a long time to get over that because i used to think oh you know they said it sucked and then as i got better with life i would think well wait a minute suck is not a very constructive way of telling me that i didn't do a good job So why? How about you explain to me? And that that would be more like maybe five or six years into my career. And then I stopped taking it to heart because I thought, okay, if you can't explain why I did a bad job, maybe you just don't know what you want. Hmm. And while I'm here to try to figure it out, I'm also not your punching bag. And just because you had a bad day and you want to throw that at me, well, that's you know you know you need to articulate that better. And I only learned that because of other bosses that like mentored and and were constructive. And even when I did a bad job, or not say bad job, but maybe I didn't live up to their expectation, they explained why. And that to me, uh, hence why I stuck around with those people for so long, because they were giving that critical constructive feedback that allowed me to do it better and get the the get it factor. Because mm. a lot of times people, they want you just to know. And I think, well, you can, but it takes you like five years to kind of figure that out. Mm. And after being around so many different cultures, I kind of have that like clairvoyance, I guess, of when uh, someone says something and I'm like, oh, I know what you mean, right? Without them really going into detail. But I didn't have that mm-hmm. in the beginning. That, that took some time to mm. sort of pick that up.
0: Right. It takes it. So, as a, As a young person going into the field, from what I understand from from what you're from what you're saying, it's very important to be able to well be humble first of all, so um be willing to learn, uh, look for opportunities whenever you can and also be able to take feedback, uh, even sometimes if it's a, if it is very harsh feedback said in the wrong way, uh, perhaps you could be asking questions to your mentor or to your boss. But can you can you go farther into this? Can you explain to me like why it doesn't work? Because taking taking just harsh feedback and says you know when someone says that your design sucks, it isn't very explanatory. So maybe explaining your mentor, telling your mentor to go farther into that, and then also like finding the right mentor because finding the right mentor is not easy. Um, I think mm. that if you have the right person, uh, you know, uh, on on the sides of you. Um, that really supervises your work i think that makes your progress in your career a lot faster it makes yeah, you a smarter but, person
1: yeah but it's also so my generation was a generation of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you're not allowed to ask for help and hmm, it's hard okay. to believe that's how it was but the generation that's coming in is radically different and the stuff i do like with adp lists it's like it's amazing It's amazing Mm -hmm. the amount of people now that are asking for help. And it isn't just like the young bucks, right? It's the guys like even my generation of like 20 years plus in the business that are saying, hey, like, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. And to have that now, I would say you shouldn't have just one mentor. You could probably have a couple, you know, and go with people that are not traditional to you. Like, and I think that's awesome. Like, you know, back, uh, back in the day, you could only have one, maybe two mentors. Why? Because Zoom and all that stuff just wasn't, you know, uh, proficient. And then yep. COVID hit, and COVID absolutely changed so many things. I think for the better. I know there's a lot of people that went through hard stuff, and I'm definitely empathetic towards them. But from a morale standpoint, uh, and we've talked about this, we probably wouldn't have met had it not been for COVID. Right? Yes. That more than likely, wouldn't have happened. And all no the chance. other. Yeah. And all the other wonderful people that I had a chance to meet with. I'm like, yo, dude, like this actually, as long as the internet holds up, this is amazing, right? Like, uh, you could do a lot. So from a mentor perspective, from a a young person, yeah, you could do that. And not to mention that mentor. Uh, and what I tell people often with ADP lists is that, uh, you can look through their LinkedIn profile. And Mm. what I, what I ask people to do, especially the young, the younger guys is, look for the job on LinkedIn that you like, forward me that job link so that I can see who I may know at that company and I can start a direct relationship with you and that person like right there. Mm-hmm. And that's been gangbuster for, for, the, uh, for the younger mentors or mentees that are, that are looking for jobs because yeah, I'll start an introduction. Like if I get to know you in like one or two calls, which what is it? It's I get to know you for like an hour. I get an idea of what you're doing. Okay, cool. Let me refer you here and an incentive Mm -hmm. for the people that I refer. So let's say, I don't know, there's a woman uh, and she says, hey, Alessio, he knows somebody or he has a job that I'm looking for. I start the introduction, you get a finder's fee. So some of these companies pay up to five grand. Yeah, so if I refer someone to you and you think they're worth it and they get hired, you get like five grand, yo. That's incentive for you to help them get, yeah, exactly, right? Okay. That's big business, yeah yeah okay. that's big business so it's a win-win for everybody hmm. right like you get the talent in and you realize the power of networking and obviously the power of being polite but also the power of networking hmm. and how you can get this to go
0: right uh, okay i'm i'm very impressed by this because i i wasn't aware of the commissions that you can actually take for referring someone well i know that that happens within your own organization but i wasn't aware that you can actually do it for other organizations too i'm not sure how that how did actually? Yeah, works. so
1: I uh, that it isn't often that I would get the commission because your company is asking you to find talent. Now there's no mm-hmm. doubt, right? There, there is such a, uh, a a challenge for talent. Yeah, it's very hard. Very and hard. And that, yeah, but the challenge for talent should be, uh, should be accented with one: you have to fit in culturally. That's one thing so if you don't get the job it's not because you are no good it's because you may not fit culturally uh and then there's obviously finances uh there could be location challenges right that kind of <clears throat> stuff but communication then the skills, thing, yeah yeah skills, but how then the, you present yourself yeah yeah presentation skills and the like right but then the bigger thing with getting into uh these places is that uh it really does come down to some sort of a network and all those stupid robot resume things, man, those are a Like I, I absolutely <laughs> hate those because yeah, the way they do stuff, they don't really, it's tough, it, they're not as good as people think they are. And the power of a network is far greater than any amount of resumes you upload. Hmm. That's it, it's over.
0: Yeah, oh, I, I completely agree. Um, I'll do like, I feel like my my own network as a designer I think it's very strong like i know many people that work in large, large organizations but i never actually utilized it to get a job so i like i don't know if my network could actually work it, 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 like, oh, man, it it's is amazing. something that i have but but yeah. i've never i've never used it uh,
1: yeah i'll i'll give you i got a bazillion examples of that where every every place that i work yeah mm-hmm. i meet people i get to know them better right and they know what i do and what i've always done as a designer is that there's like a bazillion designers like my mom's a designer my sister could be everybody their mother's a designer right <laughs> everybody could do ux which i think okay there is some validity to that but there are things that that designer uh can't do that i can and what i look to do is i don't need to really comp- like you know challenge people on stuff but i can compliment mm-hmm. other designers and one thing i do very well is a mad nerdy I'm mad nerdy. I know how all this stuff goes together from like a science perspective, uh, how APIs run, picking font sizes, which you and I spoke about. And a lot of designers don't think like that. Why? Because they could be more on the creative visionary side, which is cool. So then what I can do is your visionary side, I can put that into a box that is reproducible and gain their trust. So I'm now I'm not your competition, I'm your compliment, right? Okay. Big difference in thinking, of that because again people cat like designers are like cats you know they get very territorial of where they are and you can supplement that by saying yeah I'm not here to really I don't need to take your job dude there's so much work here we can work together right we can I can do the things you don't want to do and on the flip side if someone is more mechanical than I am okay I'll be the cuckoo creative visionary but I'm also thinking how I can make it easier for you. And that's what allowed a lot of the more senior designers that I met in my career when I was younger to say, hey, this guy, he's cool. He's not trying to snake me. And we spoke earlier about trust, right? Like making people feel that you are genuinely looking out for their best interests. Right. And that's a very hard thing to do.
0: Yeah, it is very hard. Be- and that takes a lot of practice because again, like we were talking earlier, it comes down to a lot of emotional intelligence. So like, how deeply can you understand other people? Um, mm-hmm. I think complimenting is not something that everybody does nowadays, like recognizing other people's efforts and, and skills, but it is something very beneficial um, to you and to your network, because if you, if, you, if you connect with a person and you recognize what they do and you're very enthusiastic about it, it's, it's not like rocket science, right? It's just being very good at communicating and enjoying yeah. life and living day by day. Like there is no yeah. tomorrow. If there is no tomorrow, you're gonna die. What are you? You're gonna regret that today we didn't crack a joke. So you know, fuck it. Just uh, just chill and speak speak freely. Like like you would like to speak yeah. to someone be, over a beer. Yeah, like be
1: politically correct when talking with people well. for sure. However, for the younger generation, you know that's the advice I give. However, for the older generation, like my mm-hmm. group of guys, the challenge there is knowing where you stand. And I would highly encourage guys that have been in the business 15 years plus to look to lead, because the generation of now absolutely wants mentorship. They want it. It's not that they need it. They want it. And that's a different thing, where, you know, older guys are like, "Oh, you know, the computer's going to screw everything up in design and look at it." You know I, I remember having creative directors like hissing at me. Because I would go and just print out Franklin Gothic headlines, and I didn't kern it, and they would say, "See, like no one pays attention." It's like no. Prior to that, even when people did press type, they still maybe didn't kern. I can do that, and I could take the passion, but that goes to that argument earlier about constructive criticism, where like, "Oh, you didn't kern your letters. Oh, my bad. You know what? That's great. I should because you could literally drive a truck between that A and V before they had hyphenation and justification in the in the font application." And now it does it automatically. But back in the day, it didn't do that. And you had to all that manually. Right? right? But again, that's older generations are like, oh, you're not kerning. The computer sucks. No, it's not the computer sucks. I just didn't do it because I was lazy. All right, let me do that. And now that's become part of my, my upbringing. But with the older generation, because they have so much experience, they can spot the talent, they can guide the talent, and they want that. They want to know what were the mistakes you made in your career that I should avoid? And it's a lot of dumb stuff. It's like, you know, what comes out of your mouth? Don't be ignorant, right? Or if you don't agree with their sexual orientation, you know what, dude? That's not your responsibility. They're not doing it with you. That's their life. But they allow, uh, the older generation allows those uh, things to get into the conversation. When I think, no, no, no. Do they do their job? That's it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's all what I'm worried about. Are
1: they, yeah, are mm-hmm. they playing nice with others? Okay, cool. Cool, that's it. You know, all the other stuff, like who they vote for and the religious perspective, man, I don't care about any of that stuff. The reason why is that as long as it doesn't come into this office and we get into an argument about it, the better. And quite frankly, I find a lot of those arguments to be very self-centered and like, oh, God, like, have we not Mm -hmm. learned yet in society that that a lot of that doesn't really matter? Like, what really matters is how you treat others, Mm -hmm. right? But again, with all that said, I, I think with the older generation... If they're looking for a spot in UX, which I think they totally can do it, it would be in management and you can easily guide them. You don't need to know all the software. It would help, but you don't need to know all of it. And what you really need to know is, all right, this person has this skill. They can get this done. What more do I need to ask
0: for? 100% agree on everything that you said. Um, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> didn't up a bit on the, on the self-centric topic. I think that that you know, most people really fuck up their careers or the relationships in the network just because mm-hmm. they, because they are too egocentric. They are too too much in their, into the, their yeah. own head, thinking about themselves. Oh, like why i not doing this. Oh, why why is he doing that and I'm not. Or like like um, I, I could I could be better, but uh, but 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 you know, like <clears throat> they are they're really fighting within themselves instead of finding strength from other people and complimenting them, like you were saying. Um, how I was wondering, how do you how do you contact how do you not contact? Sorry, how do you conduct your own business right with your own clients? Like, what type of behavior do you have? You mentioned earlier that building trust is very important with the people around you and in your network. So like, I was wondering, what is your usual approach with uh, with clients? Um, for example, awesome. do you do you awesome. Are you like very, are you like very friendly? Are you like very serious? Uh, like, what is it like? I'm a tyrant. Okay, so like, like you're very very joking. (laughs) Okay, joking. No, no, (laughs) you do
1: this. No, your face is priceless. No, your face is priceless. No, no. so I. It's no different than yeah. It's no different than how you and I met. That's it. We're you know I I my company has a particular skill that you're looking for. Uh, I have a tendency to be uh, quite direct when we're talking about spending your money. Because as much as I want to take it, what I don't want to do is, like, abuse it. And I think a lot of people look for the loot. And while, yeah, I need money to survive, so does my my team. I'm not here to, like, like bring down what you're doing. And I have had calls with clients where I would start to question, why are you doing it that way? And I'll give you a great example. Uh, not to name names because I'm, I'm under NDA, but there was a particular uh, company that I... I uh, I contacted me on LinkedIn and they were trying to educate a certain group of people and they just wanted to use like teach them code. And it was a younger group of people they wanted to teach. And I thought, why? Like go to Wix. I don't need a (laughs) younger kid to learn how to write code, especially website code. Dude, that's what's the value in that. And then they're like, no, because we're looking to serve impoverished neighborhoods and turn them into entrepreneurs. And I was okay. like, awesome. Yeah, right? Like for me, okay. I was like, dude, dumb idea. Yeah, okay. I'm not gonna- Please, please go yeah, ahead, I... find
0: another reason to convince me yeah, yeah. about that, please.
1: <laughs> yeah, but when, but when he had said that to me, I thought, no, dude, I, now you have my engagement. Because if you're just doing that, nope, I'm not gonna be associated with it. Why? Because inevitably, uh, when that fails, I don't want to be labeled with that i'd rather be labeled with something that it was a great idea that didn't work out than a bad idea that went worse right so because again that that often happens right or other things with small businesses where uh you have to get to know their product and i don't know other product like there's a there's a company i work with that specializes in insect uh and like pest control and uh and house insurance or home insurance mm-hmm. and it's a weird combination but when I spoke to them, i like, yeah, that's really bizarre. But as they broke it down, I thought, oh, okay. And I, the only insects I know are the ones that I have in the house, right? But <laughs> that whole business around it, you know, you have to learn about what they do. So for, for most right. of the clients that I get, yeah, the conversation is very technical. Uh, I'm looking to figure out what you're trying to do, how fast do you want it? I'm not really asking your budget, uh, of course. Um, and then also I've had some customers where once we get the budget, And they hear like it's going to cost like 10 grand to like do a site for them or something, they balk. And then I tell them, you know what? I think what would be great is if you do go to Wix because it might be better for you now. And then you understand why you hire someone like us to customize that experience because Wix, Shopify, that flow, you can't really change the experience of how it goes because that's their business model. But it's a turnkey solution. So it's like getting a car off the, uh, like the, the latest Mustang, you get it off the lot. Oh, it looks great. But I want it to be like a racetrack car. Well, that's different. And you could build your own racetrack car or you could take that Mustang and modify it. But, you know, again, it starts to come down to like, what are you trying to do? And it might be easier for you to learn on like the baseline model of mm. the car before you dump all this money into it or build something new. And hence why, like I tell some clients sometimes, yeah, it might be a good idea to learn Wix or if you find a company that's offering a lower price, I understand, I mean, it's, it stinks that I'm not gonna be able to do it. Uh, like uh, for like, in some cases, we'll lose opportunities to companies in other countries, and we lose it because of price. And I think, yeah, but there's a, there's a problem with some countries where they may charge 10 bucks an hour, but it may take them 10 hours to get it done, where we'll get it done in one hour for 100 bucks an hour. So do you want it like now? Or do you want to wait 10 hours? And some people, yeah, that becomes a problem or not a problem, but it becomes a, um, a, a decision point because a lot of people want to move. They want to move quickly, but they have a hard time stomaching the hourly rate. And I think, well, yeah, there's a reason. Now, if it's like a $10,000 difference, what am I doing wrong? Or, or are they just underselling? me? Because you get into like taxes, you get into different you know, countries and how they do stuff. And yeah, you could lose based on that. And I know that gets a lot of people upset. And I agree. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there, is some, there can be challenges when you deal with others, but that's competition. Right. And you have to find a way around it.
0: Mm-hmm. But I love the way you explained it because um, here a lot of people get stuck on this argument about uh, the hourly pay. Some time ago, I was speaking to this uh, brand designer and she was telling me, you know, some clients, they really, they really get upset when I tell them how much I charge. But then explain explained that the reason why I charge this much is because I've been doing this for 20 years. So what takes a person to do what they do in an hour, it takes them usually a week. That's why I charge this much. You're not paying for my hours. You're paying for my experience for all of the years that I've been doing this yeah. for, for the 15, 20 years that mm-hmm. I've been, you know, designing, making critical decisions, uh, asking questions, empathizing with the clients and so on. So that, that's why you're getting paid more and and i love it yeah
1: i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more yeah. and there's actually a really funny quote and i'm probably going to butcher it uh and it was with picasso and apparently again like i'm probably going to butcher it but uh picasso when he would go out for for dinner with his friends he'd bring all his friends and a lot of times he didn't pay what he would do is he would draw on a receipt and he'd give that receipt and that was like his payment for for eating so mm. uh, a pair or allegedly there was a super rich woman that saw him there and asked for a drawing. And he did the drawing right in front of her and he charged her like like 10 grand or something. And she says, but it only took you 10 minutes. He goes, no, it didn't. It took me a lifetime. And his point was, it <laughs> okay. took him his whole life to do it that there quickly. And I was like, oh my God, dude, that is mental. Now, again, I don't know how true that is, but it sounds amazing and it totally fits Picasso's personality.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's but- like the topic too. <laughs>
1: but the yeah, but the validity to that is no different than what uh you know, the brand designer told you or even what I go through. I'm like, yeah, I could do it in like an hour. And if I charge a thousand dollars for that hour, it's because yeah, most people take a week. And I just yeah. did it
0: that like a split. That's it. And yeah, and there is there is so much value in that because like if you pay someone more for that hour only when someone could do it in a week, it just makes the whole process move faster and when you're able to um when you're able to explain how the work is going to go faster to, then you're going to convince the client to work with you. So I think that working with clients in general and networking not only is about uh, understanding and having deep empathy, but it's also about how you can express yourself and be very uh, well spoken. And I think you do that very well. Well, you're, you're a teacher at the, the University of um, uh, forgot the Liberty. name
1: too. Right. Yeah, but you know, something else to point out is a lot of customers, you have to prove your value. And that's something that is across the board, whether you're older or younger, like, why would you pay me more than someone else? And I love the quote of quality versus quantity. I don't do three to four layouts. I, I give you one. Because three to four layouts, the customer gets confused. You mentioned that earlier, you yeah. have too many options. Like, what do I do? Oh, that's nice, that's nice. And what they do is they kind of cobble together an idea, which I know for what we do uh, and, and our process with what we do, I take a super sciency approach. Uh, I do not rush to visual design at all. I think mm. that's a death sentence to any, any idea, because if you make it look good, but it hasn't been vetted by dev or the APIs you're going to use, then that pretty thing that you just did is just an illustration.
0: Worthless, There's no, yeah.
1: yeah. Like, have you vetted that with anything? <clears throat> like, it doesn't even fit a grid, for Christ's sake. Like, and you're, <laughs> you're thinking it's going to be great. Like, it, it's like the stuff you see on Dribble where it looks really nice, but, but yeah, that hasn't like, been vetted or whatever. Like, what's you the know?
0: value of it? Why are you doing yeah. that? Like, is there yeah, a feature so, behind it? Does the feature yeah, make so, sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how we've proved our value, and I think a lot of designers don't do this, but they should is do a benchmark up front. Find out what the problems are before you start. So most of the time, problems are customers, uh, dev, and management. They're usually the three things. Now, management's really easy, because I tell management, oh, if we, uh, like, again, the boss wants the logo bigger. Cool, we can do that, but it's going to change the framework, and if we change the framework, it's going to add about 10 hours to making that change, so you still want to do it. We can, but it's 10 hours. So 10 hours could equal, let's say 10 grand. They'll usually say no, <laughs> right? But right. I, put it in a, I put it in a way to make them realize, okay, you could do you brought it, it up. but that's that's terrible. Now, the other yeah. two things is customer support and depth. And those are the things where designers can really take advantage from a customer support perspective. I go to customer support because they are going to tell me what all the people are complaining about. And uh, there was one client in particular uh, Ceridian—it's uh, like the ADP of Canada, like uh, human resources. Uh, their big problem was people could not—people uh, could not get their uh, pay stub online. And the okay. argument was, yeah, <laughs> one of the guys higher up, and I quote, "I could do my F and taxes online, but I can't get my pay stub." And it's an amazing statement because I thought, yeah, like you're right, like my taxes, it's my social, it's all this other stuff that, like like bad people want to get and abuse, but I can't get my pay stub? Let's fix that. So very easy thing to go and do. But on the dev side, the reason why they couldn't do it is because you didn't have the proper security to get it fixed. So we had a clear thing we had to go do. We solved that problem. And from a dev perspective, we gave them the outline. We brought that back to stakeholders and say, hey, we need to pay for this on the server to get that certification. They paid for it. And that problem evaporated. It was like, within like the minute they launched it, no one called about that anymore.
0: Why? Because they fixed it. They sold the value in it, and then potentially like, it increases the revenue of the company, like there is real business business profits out of it.
1: Yeah, saving people time, right? Like that's what you want to do. You want to save them time. So with all that said, those were things that in the end, because every designer also, if you're doing product design, you should do a 30, 60, 90 plan. What am I doing my first 30 days? What am I doing my next 60 days? And my last 90 days, I'm making sure that what I did month one and month two were correct. And even if it mm-hmm. wasn't correct, why wasn't it correct? Where did it fail? And how do I now avoid that? And a lot of times that kind of stuff is really easy to spot it. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's scope creep. Well, usually it's scope creep. Like people, they lose sight of what they're doing and they add more stuff, but they don't increase the timeline. Okay, well that's why it failed. Cause uh, my mom jokes, you, you can only put uh, you can't put 10 pounds of bologna in a five pound bag. Ain't going to fit. <laughs> yeah, you can't add hours. You only have 40 hours in a week. I mean, if you want to kill the team, say 80 hours in a week. And yeah, right. all right. So now you're burning everybody out. and Hence, it's not going to work. But that whole management from a design perspective is, and, and again, it's, it's younger designers and older designers to say, yeah, this is what I can get done. Do not sacrifice quality for quantity focus on the quality if you get one thing done great done that's great if you get 10 things done that are okay, eh,
0: you're sure. okay. yeah you're okay so like uh, spend one more hour in the strategy part in the scope creep in the understanding of the project and then the execution time will be faster but not only faster will be more accurate going in the right direction which is more motivating also for the younger designers because they know that yeah. they're they're doing the right thing and the time is not getting wasted
1: Yeah, it's hard to, and it's definitely not an easy thing for a younger designer because they don't have the vision to see Mm. forward of the potential problem. So I can't throw shade at them. I can only say to them, keep learning. Uh, LinkedIn uh, or any like LinkedIn learning or or any of that kind of stuff, like try to learn as much of that stuff as you can. Because in the end, it really does come down to building. Look and feel is a theme. We can Hmm. change it. (laughs) Changing it, look right. and feel. But when you address the problem, now they're not going to change it because you've addressed the problem. And visually, like I said, I know visual world can be quite shallow in a lot of stuff, but in reality, it it actually is more sciencey, in my opinion, where you can, you know, mechanically break it down, look and feel and, and, mm. and make it look good, but also make it where it delivers all uh, or solves all the challenges that are at hand. But sure. like seeing, again, like seeing where... Uh, like what the potential pitfalls are, that's where the older generation could come in and help the younger generation avoid those pitfalls.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I can see the power of that. Uh, Joy, I was wondering, um, last question of the podcast, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, beautiful conversation, by the way. I, I truly enjoy speaking with you. You're you're a highly charismatic person, and you're you have a very um high emotional intelligence um understanding of people and that i love and that's why i think like you're a very successful person and i want you on the podcast because you have um you have this 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 is enthusiastic um uh, persona of yours and i think a lot of people can look up to you and uh I, I look forward to seeing the comments from the podcast episodes and i'm sure we'll touch a lot of people's lives so that's fantastic man thanks again awesome. for coming last question so i uh, how do you think people should uh should put things in their portfolio like what should you demonstrate in your portfolio in order in terms of um customer experience measurements like the roi for example like how do you measure that what you've done um has changed the business um side of things mm. all
1: right awesome so it's it's definitely um I think a little bit of trial and error. Uh, but the way that I've done it when I can is to show the ROI is again, what I mentioned earlier about setting the benchmark. You know, how many problems did customer support have and how, how much of that did you reduce? Or uh, or another example is if dev is having a hard time in getting layouts from the designers, how did you improve that flow? And what how much time are you saving them? Or I don't know, uh, you know, like management had these challenges. Here was what the challenge was, and here's how I fixed that challenge. Right. And just showing the change doesn't have to be a big change. Like even if you move the needle just 1% or even 0.1% to the positive, that's that's more than enough for some people to say, yeah, like we're seeing change. Sometimes big change happens, and sometimes it's just little change, but all that stuff adds up to performance. So any way you can document how you got uh, like a better connection between dev and, 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 um, and design or marketing understands why product has to go a certain way, just document that. And then in your portfolio, just list out a couple of reasons why, right? Now, another thing that I often do is uh, on LinkedIn, I have uh, samples of portfolio pieces. Now, what mm-hmm. I don't do is I don't show everything. And I don't do that because think of when you're on like in the mall or the boardwalk or whatever, and they're offering sample size of like fudge, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. You like that sample fudge. Oh, I like this. But the goal is to get them in the store to buy more fudge. Now, if I put all the fudge out front, they got it and then they leave. You just want to give them just enough to wet the palate, And that's what your initial portfolio should be. So what you put on like LinkedIn or on your site, just show like a sample of the work because then when you're on the call, that's when you show them like, yo, here's everything I did.
0: Right. So instead
1: of showing every mm. single layout on your portfolio, just show them like one or two, because that should be enough to give them an idea of what you do,
0: right? Love it, love it. How does that work with people that have an NDA?
1: <laughs> awesome, awesome. And I, I've got a, a gajillion of those that I've had a battle with over the years, because yeah, like the only way I can get a, a next project is they need to see my work, but I'm not allowed to show that work because of the client's NDA. So the first thing you want to do is anything that has legible text, like names or numbers, turn all that into lorem ipsum. So now like, you're not sure. Blur them out. No, no, not blur. Like lorem ipsum would be, is like greeking. It's like where you ah. put in like the fake text. Oh, okay. You know, put in fake text, that's all. Because even in wireframes, I use lorem ipsum, right? So now the client can't say you shared uh, their data. Okay, that's the first thing to do. Mm. The second thing you could do, and I know every designer can agree to this, sometimes the direction of the product didn't go the way you wanted it. So why don't you change it a little bit? Change some of the color, maybe change the font, change up the stuff. So what what you're doing is legally, you're not providing the lawyers of the opposing team, the opportunity to say, hey, you violated your NDA. Now, you may not be able to use their logo as well. So for, Hmm. for one example, I've worked several years at KPMG, I'm not allowed to show any of KPMG's work. However, I can say I work for a fintech company. Hmm. And here's some of the work I did for that fintech company, but I'm not going to say their name. That's another way to get around it. So like, and again, here's experience, experienced designer been at it for a long time, telling the Hmm. younger generation, here's how you avoid getting into legal trouble. Now, your Uh, Your bosses may get upset because you changed the layout to your liking, but they can't say, oh, you took our idea. Now, I mean, I guess they, to some degree they could. Yeah, but you modified it. So if you change it up some, what are they going to say? And, you know, that's one way of getting around NTAs uh, with stuff. But in the end, you know, inevitably, uh, the less that you share about the company you work with visually, there's less chance of you getting sued.
0: Yeah, uh, nobody wants to guess you. Especially if you piece off a company, it's gonna be a lot of money. It's, it's probably gonna end up. your yeah. you're probably gonna end but up we, your career. Yeah, as well.
1: but we know, we know that at the end of the day, as designers, we have to show work. And even people on to. my team yeah. that do freelance work, I don't care. Honestly, I don't care. Like whatever makes you happy. And if you're gonna show the work, uh, another thing I do is I I take credit for what I did and what I didn't do. So for some projects, uh, we only did the, the, the wireframe work, And we'll show look and feel, but I don't take credit for look and feel because I didn't do that. But we'll show the wires and look and feel and say, hey, here's how the design team used our wires to benefit their or inform some of their layout. I'm not saying they should do it like paint by numbers, but you know, they'll take some of what we did from UX and apply it to visual and that's all good, right? But when it comes to you know, dealing with high profile clients, yeah, they don't want their stuff out there because it's all intellectual property, I'm cool with that. But if you can get, uh, if the company isn't comfortable with you putting it in your portfolio, but you still need to show the work, what I just mentioned is a couple of easy ways on how to get around you NDAs know, and then, uh, hmm. you know, I mean, don't brag about it, by the way. Like, don't try to rub it in their face. Like, definitely <laughs> keep that on the down low. But if it should come at you, at least you're not, like, fully exposed to the lawsuit where, what are they going to say now?
0: Right. You yeah, yeah.
1: Like, You eliminated a lot of stuff.
0: That's a good point. Um, as a matter of fact, to be keeping your portfolio in the low, what I do personally is that I don't publish it online. I make it in a PDF, and whenever I apply for a company, I send it in a yep. PDF format. And awesome. That's the most. Uh, that's the best way that I can. I can send it. To be honest, there is also like you can go on Wix, for example, and you can put a password on your portfolio. I think UX Folio has this option that yeah, um, you can put whatever. a password in portfolio. Yeah, there is. There is many ways to do that. Yeah, uh, but it works. Um, but
1: what you can also do, one, one thing to add is when you do send it to someone, you should tell them in the email, please keep this confidential, course, because yeah. if it gets out and you know they shared it, like, wait a minute, I told you confidential, and lawyers love emails, they love, like, oh, well, he said it right here, and you shared it, and now he's in trouble or she's in trouble because of what you just shared, you're involved. So that is a little bit of a hook to keep everybody, you know, let's, let's keep it civil. But if we're going to start to get in this thing where I'm getting beat up because you decided to throw it back to the agency that I worked at, well, dude, I told you not to do that. I asked you to keep it confidential.
0: Yeah, very good advice. Very good advice. Look, Joey, uh, every, every, everything was a very solid advice. I, I loved everything that we talked about. So for the young designers that are listening to the podcast right now, um, I will have some key takeaways to take from the episode. One would be to understand the needs of your customers whenever you're starting off a new project. It would be to try to understand the reasonings behind uh, what they're trying to do, understand the product that they're involved in. Um, Also, when speaking to clients or to anyone in the project that wants to take a certain direction, make them understand the pros and cons of approaching a certain direction. And if there is positive uh, benefits of, uh, of taking the approach that you've decided to take, that you've decided to take in, then make sure that you're able to um, you're able to um, bring up the benefits that it had to the business. Also, one more thing that I would take from the episode would be to um, upgrade your emotional intelligence. So, build your network. Go on LinkedIn, on the ADP list, wherever you possibly can, and start speaking to people. Start to send messages to people that you have never met before in the United States, United Kingdom, in Italy. Uh, Germany, that is called the San Francisco of the of, of Europe right now. Go on every possible way and start speaking to people. Start putting yourself out there. Start socializing. And <clears throat> one more thing, uh, portfolios. So put your work out there. Don't be afraid of NDAs and find a way to um, get exposed without getting sued.
1: <laughs> I, I would also add the, the thing that I, I love... Uh, letting everyone know is that you don't really have to go to design school all the time either. Oh, that's I know a that's one. a big thing and people continuously do that. What I would highly recommend people to do, take a course in comedy. Because comedy allows you to read the room. And if you start to fumble, which we all do, comedy gives you that insight on how to kind of segue a little bit. Like you know how to like, if you're dealing with a heckler or you deal with someone that's starting to beat up your work, how do you prepare for that? Because we've all gone through like, oh my God, like the blood is rushing out of my body because I totally screwed up. I started or I spit or something dumb. So with having the experience of going to a comedy class, that's given me an overwhelming advantage when I deal with people and I see things going a certain way because I feel way more confident. And so that would be one. The second thing I would highly recommend people do, learn how to fight. And the reason for that is I don't need to go fight, but when you know how to fight, you're confident. So when things start to get a little, uh, you can be more confident in yourself because you know you can handle it. Versus when you don't know that kind of stuff, I find people to get very like, you know, kind of like defensive. Oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, no, 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 dude, chill. I've been involved in martial arts for 14 years. I'm good cuz. So we could either talk it out here or if it has to go a different way, which it normally does, it because of where we are. But I have found in my life that uh, learning a martial art has made me way more confident in myself, so I don't have to like take everything offensive or feel like people are trying to get on me. And then the comedy side is where it allows me to not only read the room, but to be able to throw some jabs back when things are going a certain way, like "Oh, dude, check it out," you know, and blah blah blah, and have some fun with them.
0: I understand. So, um, be able to give a direction for the conversation, whatever wherever it's going maybe it's maybe it's going downside and uh, sorry downhill and you want to take it uphill right you want to boost the morale of the of the room that you're in sometimes people don't have the kind of enthusiasm so by having you actually uh having them engage in a conversation that right now it's making everybody laugh or whatever you know it could be beneficial to the whole team it could make them makes people feel comfortable when you have a good time and when you laugh yeah You don't need to like
1: crack jokes all the time, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm not applying that because comedy isn't just about telling jokes. Comedy is also about reality, right? And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when we're in these heated conversations, we quite often forget that it's not that serious, right? Like we we should slow it down a little bit. And I find that again with comedy, you know, for me, those classes that I took. And by the way, I totally stumbled on that because I was tired of going to uh, design class after design class because it really wasn't it was nothing no value anymore it was like just people's opinions and a lot of it wasn't based in any sort of science right and i found that's terrible but instead uh getting into martial arts uh that was a really big thing uh that i mean if anything that helped me get my anger under control because i didn't realize how angry i was as a little guy but also with comedy that allowed me to laugh at my mistakes and that allowed me to be more comfortable because i thought oh yeah duh like that person does it too and you know, we eat the same way, we poop the same way. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, we may have different preferences about stuff, but at the end of the day, yeah, we everybody screws up. But at least now I can laugh at myself more uh, regarding that. And again, comedy and um, and martial arts work, but for for others, you know, there might be other things. But you don't always have to go to design school. Sometimes you got to do something else to see how these guys do it and apply that to what you do as a designer.
0: Basically, to wrap it up. Uh, empathy, common sense, negotiation, and diplomacy are very important soft skills to have in your, in your, your skill set nowadays. And uh, with these soft skills, you can go from being a good designer to being an effective one. And over time, the effective designer learns to evaluate their work not by the quality of their design, but by the impact of what actually ships. If you want to learn more about the soft skills that a UX designer should have, there is a very good research written by balsamic Workstreaming Academy on it. I will post the link in the description of the podcast. And thanks again for being on the show, Joey. It was a true, true pleasure to have you here. Like always, I always enjoy so much speaking to you, your true wealth of information. Again, that was Joey Kilren, former director of user experience, professor of UX and founder and CCO at DED, his own digital experience design company.
1: My pleasure. All right, sir. Thank you.